Hi again, everyone, and anyone really, and welcome to the Pocket Dumb Podcast, Episode 6. It's PDPC for short, and it is no longer the newest show on the Rogue Intel Network. Three new programs are available at RogueIntel.com. Now that I'm older, the powerful Nerdcast, and a show called Pure Orgasmic Love. Of course, there's a catch, as each of these shows has more episodes than me. These are shows which have joined the network already in progress. What's cool about that is that each of these shows have a back catalog that you can all dig into if you decide to subscribe to them. You can go to iTunes, you can go to Stitcher Radio, or just use the RSS feed info that you can copy and paste from their show pages on RogueIntel.com. But enough about them, let's talk about me. And I mean let's talk a lot about me. I am the guest this episode with Chris Stracola, one of the co-hosts of Rogue Intel's Prime, interviewing me. That interview was a back and forth that lasted about three hours and went from stories about handcuffs that we aren't going to tell to talking about Jaws. Jaws took place and was in production over the 4th of July weekend. It also took far too long to make and almost ended Steven Spielberg's career. This episode similarly took far too long to finish, crossed the Independence Day holiday, and almost got me to quit. Here I am, though, with episode 6 of the Pocket Dump podcast, and I'm already hard at work on episode 7. The idea this time out was to explain all that I carry so that you listeners can understand who it is that is telling you what to carry and what stinks. So I hope that the interview sheds some light, but first, a preview. The Buck Apex is designed around lightweight, and it isn't phenomenally lightweight. It's under 2 ounces, but at 48 grams, there are lighter knives that you can get. It's a buck, but it's made overseas, so that brass-backed, American-made, stag-handled buck and all of the associated coolness is maybe missing. And it's mass-produced, so it might not be as boutique as some of you would like. I had a Leatherman Crater, which combined the carabiner-slash-bottle opener, twist-offs, people, twist-offs, and it had a belt pocket clip. Those are equipped with a launcher lever in order to open one-handed, and it was a nice little knife, but maybe it was a little too bulky? I also have a Columbia River Knife and Tool Peck, which is a keyring size knife where the blade just slides against the handle and then it goes in my pocket. The Peck is too small for my ogre hands, and the crater is a little too round and pudgy to be a small knife. The new Buck Apex splits the difference. Looking at it, I imagine designers trying to make the smallest knife they can but just by being knife makers by nature, they delivered this instead. The Apex isn't a failure by any means. I really like it. But if you really want minimal, type Balladeo into your search engine and look at a 22-gram knife. If you are attracted to the multifunction aspect, then the Crater, which incorporates the opener clip, can be had for less. Or you can go with a Leatherman knife that uses and stores the flat bit set they designed. But... Maybe you want a money clip size knife that is also multifunction, and that's where the Apex hits a sweet spot. Now, they may have done it by accident, but that is not the discussion. This was a minimalist knife, but they included a handle scale in orange or purple aluminum. No zombie green, though, and that's my favorite color. It's a frame lock, not having liners, but the tab of that frame lock doesn't go all the way to the bottom of the frame, which should add rigidity and keep any user from stressing the frame accidentally. The Apex looks great, it's all 21st century, and even the bright colors aren't too loud. But, if you really want stealthy, you can get the Apex with a black finish and carbon fiber handle scale. That adds $5 to the MSRP, bringing it up to $50, 
and it takes off a smidge of weight. On the plus side is that it's 50 state and DC legal, and it carries almost anywhere. Your belt, a pocket, a cargo pocket, your sock, a backpack, the pocketbook, or clipped on to a strap or a zipper anywhere on your gear. I say pick one up as a gift, maybe for a lady, and steal it back. Link, of course, as always, in the show notes. Buck also has a new toy called the Bow Tool, which is designed for bow hunters, but when has something like that ever stopped me? It's too big to carry on you, and it's not light at 7.5 ounces, so why am I talking about it? I'm not advocating carrying a compound bow to work, but hear me out. We all have that giant half-pound set of Allen keys in a toolbox, or the kitchen drawer. The metal hexagons are bent over like candy canes and then screwed into a big wide handle, a little like a Swiss Army knife, you know the one. This is like that. It's got seven sizes of hexes, from one-sixteenth up to one-half. This one, however, because it's designed by knife people rather than tool people, also has a Phillips head screwdriver, a scissor, and a two-inch knife blade. This has more functionality for the kitchen drawer or the toolbox. If you don't, won't, or can't carry a knife, if you open all of your boxes with a steak knife, and if your flat-packed Scandinavian furniture is a little wobbly, this might be a good tool for around the house, or the dorm room, or the break room at work. It's a Buck Model 737. Link in the show notes. Let's move on. So, as if you didn't know, this is a show where I take you inside how people think by showing you what they need in order to interact with the world around them. I am your host and guide, Matt Rollins, but it seemed like it was time for me to dump out my own pockets for you all, so that you could understand how I think and how I interact with my corner of the universe. I have been a cook, a sailor, I've worked retail, I've toured with rock bands, worked on trucks... I've guarded a jail for seven years, and until the next episode, I can guarantee that I am the best sword fighter on this show. This interview doesn't get to every single thing I carry because there is so much, and because the guest host, Chris Stracola, from Rogue Intel's Prime, was far too interesting. So what we got was less about what, and more about what for. It's an interesting conversation about when to carry, when not to carry, why to carry, what to carry, and how much to spend. I hope you all enjoy it. There's a bunch of gun podcasts. People want to talk about guns and the cool stuff. Nobody wants to talk about your library card or, or you know... Why are you carrying that coupon in your wallet? True. No one wants to get into that. My very first episode, I talked about audit your wallets. Get your stuff out of your wallet. If you learn nothing else from me, it's don't carry one of those giant wallets. Man, now what was your reasoning behind that? Uh, man, reasoning? It's just a matter of efficiency. Everything I have does two things. And it's not about, oh, look, I love Transformers. It's uh, my mom's old version of that was if it doesn't pay rent, out. If something is in your wallet, if something is making you sit funny, if something is changing the way you behave or the way you have to dress, especially because it's too big or it's too weird or it's too stiff or it's too hot or it's too cold. I've had a leather wallet up against my skin 
in a pair of pants in the summer and that part of my thigh is sweating. Yeah. Because it's pressed in there too tight. And that is a combo of it is a non-breathing fabric versus the fact that my pants won't let it move. So even things like that, if you look at all of my stuff, every square inch of it does what it's supposed to do and hopefully does something else. So I make the joke all the time that I have, I'm counting them now, I have five, depending on my belt, six bottle openers on me at all times. Wow. I am not an alcoholic. I promise you that. It's just that it's really easy for these companies to notch into their stuff a bottle opener. Just because you can take away material and make that notch that becomes a bottle opener. Yeah. So something that otherwise wouldn't have it, they just go, oh, here, put a bottle opener on that. Hey, no problem. So I, I like tools that are multitaskers. Therefore, I ha- I wind up with a lot of bottle openers. But I'm the guy who unscrewed the pocket clip of one of my knives and attached a P38 can opener to it <laughs> in its place because I didn't have a can opener on my person at all times. That's actually really clever. Uh, why, thank you. I give you a lot of credit for that. That was that was pretty slick. All of my stuff, or most of my stuff, is hacked together stuff. Everything, it's, it's not just what is this and what does it do, it's how does it interact with other pieces. See, I'm more... I'm more the kind of guy who, instead of always wanting a bottle opener on me, I'd find five things in the room that I could use as a bottle opener. Sure. That impro- the improvisational tactic. Yeah. Well, I carry a lighter, although I don't smoke, because fire is pretty elemental. Right. When you need to make fire, you need to make it quickly and efficiently. And the 79 or 80 cents that a, you know, a mini Bic lighter costs. Worth it. Worth every single penny. Uh, the screw-tight tub of waterproof matches that guys carry in their little Altoid survival tin, mm-hmm. that's great. But that should be what you try after you drop your Bic lighter. But that's a big object for me to carry that only does one thing. So it's also where I keep duct tape. I wrapped the body of the Bic Mini with white duct tape. Clever. So that's where I keep a spool of duct tape if I need duct tape. So it's not wasting space. I was wondering why you wrote duct tape and pointed to your lighter. I'm like, really? What? It's wrapped. Yeah, it's wrapped in duct also, uh, the, the metal shield, I had to carve it out, open up the two little vents in the back, and that's where I put a split ring so that it's mounted onto my key ring. Nice. Yeah, I saw mm-hmm. that. That's very, very clever. Right. I like Thank it. you. I didn't make up any of those ideas. I just put them all in the same place. I like it. It works. Um, the YouTube video I saw that put a split ring into the lighter didn't wrap it with duct tape, and the one that wrapped it with duct tape didn't put it on a key ring. Well, you took two ideas and made them your own. Right. It just these things both work. So your whole style is more improvisational, but you said you carry a bag full of stuff. Uh, I do, but I also, like, in that bag, um, I have, like, several things that would help me out just... If I ever got stuck in any situation that are fairly small to bring, like I have um, the Trapper's Bible, which has like, you know, a whole bunch of different, you know, traps, snare, setups and whatnot. 
It's got, um, what else do I have? I have the SAS, uh, Soldier and Survival book. One of the things I have, like you were talking about fires and necessity, I have like this little tiny Tupperware container that has not only like the old style Zippo lighters with an extra flint, but I also keep in there um, like six feet of tin foil that I have folded up mm-hmm. and about 15 coffee filters. Because I like the four-wheel, and just in case I ever get stuck in the woods, I might need these because I have nothing to drink. For for survival, yeah, definitely. Folded up tin foil makes a lot of different shapes, makes pans, makes pots, makes cups. Utensils. Yeah, you can uh, you can do a lot with that, and that's that goes to another show. Yeah, for sure. And I, I don't mean to name-check the show, but I shop at the same knife shop as one of those shows. Fair enough. Uh, they're really nice guys. They have a YouTube channel. They have a, a really cool podcast. And I can't wait to bump into them up there. Like, I love what you guys do, but what I do is the more suburban style of it. Right on. Their stuff is all about, you know, basically turning the woods of West Virginia into Sear School. And that's fine. I'm more about turning the streets of Washington, D.C. into not an obstacle. Right. You know, because the stuff I need to do, like the stuff that I would need from where I am out of even a machete. Even a backpack, you know, tool is get a door off of its hinges, open a locked cabinet, things like that. My scrounge and survival after the fall of man. Uh, by the way, the fall of man is in the springtime. Yeah. After the fall of man, <laughs> the stuff that I'm going to need to do is scavenge through houses for my resources. There aren't farms or enough of them. There aren't, you know, natural type resources here. So I need like, you know, a breaching tool more than I need an actual machete, you know, for uh, for butchering wood and, and making fire starting materials and things like that. Right. That's stuff that I kind of need as well. My needs here are different than somebody else's needs somewhere else. Right. But everybody needs different stuff in different ways. What you carry in a very similar, you know, kind of suburban lifestyle than what I carry are wildly different. We solve the same problems differently. And that's really what I love about this show is what I see around the world as my obstacles that I need to be ready to overcome shows you who I am. That's very true. It's like a peek into your subconscious. Right. Like you having that hunting knife with you in the car for dangerous areas that you might drive through, but also it has a glass breaker. Right. Because you're someone who, if you see a bad accident, you're going to respond to that bad accident. That's happened before. I've had to. Well, it's Jersey, of course. Yeah, Turnpike figures. Why? Why? Why would you do it if you didn't have to? Dude, it happened right in front of me. No, I mean the Turnpike. Oh, well, it had Not to. Why would you help? You should help. <laughs> I had to, man. It was coming back from like, uh, I think it was like a Thanksgiving dinner at my cousin's in North Jersey. Okay. And uh, yes, bad accident happened right in front of us. I didn't have to use the glass breaker, but I did have to use the seatbelt cutter. And that's cool of you. You have military background, so a little bit of first aid and... Surprising amount of first aid. I can do a tracheotomy with a steak knife. Yeah. (laughs) Well, yeah, like the one dude had a dislocated shoulder, so I took his tie and basically made a makeshift sling. And the other lady, her knee was like, you could see the kneecap. So I sat there and I, you know, cleaned out the wound with a bottle of water and, Mm -hmm. you know, I got something to put on it. 
And, you know, I told the other lady, you know, these are the signs of shock, what to look for, keep her, you know, make sure she sips a little water, make sure, you know, don't let her sleep because she definitely had a concussion too. <laughs> um, do you carry a gun daily? Uh, no, I am currently prohibited by law from carrying my guns. Ah, uh, you're talking to someone from Jersey. I know all too well. Mm-hmm. Um, knife. Uh, always at least one. Uh, if you count the multi-tool, there are three blades. Uh, my primary knife, my knife that is for cutting things, is a Spyderco Endura 4. Ooh, spiders get knives. Uh, I always, always wanted one. They were American. They were super different looking. I finally got one, and it's made in Japan. Figures, right? Yeah, I just missed the boat on them being uh, all U.S. made. Yeah, I got a spider in, like, 2009. I had that for three years before it fell off the rail of a fishing boat. It was a great knife. See, that's why you don't do that. Well, I I fish, man. It happens. I, they have fishing knives, uh, at spider now, uh, they're, you know, absolutely rust proof made of better stuff. And they have a nice big shackle on the back so you can tie it to something so that it doesn't hit the water. Nice. I know you were telling me, uh, yesterday about the Gerber fisherman. I wanted to check that one out. Yeah. Gerber has a multi-tool that is related to their, you know, out the front, uh, like the one that I have currently the 600, that is an extra long needle nose for uh, fish hook removal and there's a couple other specific to fishing tools on it including on the file there's a groove for sharpening fish hooks yeah that just sounded too awesome for me not to have uh, as you can tell that's gerber fisherman not gorton fisherman <laughs> although they are a tasty tilapia um all right what about your flashlight uh the flashlight that i carry and this is a pocket dump the flashlight that i carry is the phoenix and that's overseas produced as well uh, and it is the E05 or 05. It's a really good keyring mountable light. I have mentioned that I want to bump that up to the uh, their competition. Surefire Lights has a AAA that I did as the preview, I believe, uh, week two. And uh, also Magnificent would be the only thing I'd step up from this. But the Phoenix has not done me wrong yet. And hopefully have a couple more years before that thing's beaten to the point where I, I get to buy another one. <laughs> right on. I know you touched on it before, but uh, your multi-tool. So for testing and evaluation, uh, I currently, uh, and because I can't find my other, other Leatherman, right now I am carrying a uh, the military-grade Gerber MP Multiplier 600 series but not in its pouch. So it's a, it's a bigger device and I don't have the serrated blade one. The thing that shocks me about it. And I just pulled this thing out of an envelope a couple of days ago. The straight edge blade on this thing is the roughest lawnmowerist. Like it missed a step at the factory of getting honed. Really? Uh, it's going to need like an hour on a whetstone to turn that thing into something sharp. But because I carry a dedicated knife and stuff, I'm not that worried about it. So it really is my pliers. And I haven't had a chance to need my pliers in a long time. So I'm not super worried about it. That's a shame, though. It's I don't know if because this one didn't come directly from them. Maybe somebody in grinding it down to try to sharpen it screwed it up, Uh, you know, from the third party seller. Or maybe it did come out of the factory as a second. Or something's a little bit up, but I, I want to post pictures. I don't know if I have a camera that will really capture how rough that blade is. If you're careful with a good knife 
out of the box from a reputable company, you can run your thumb and forefinger kind of down that blade and feel it be all smooth and oily and nice and then not be bleeding when you're done. <laughs> that's the careful part. Yeah. Yeah. That's key. <laughs> yeah. This is not that. Oof. This really, really needs a, a filing down of a, of a lot of its edge. It's like a rough stamped uh, edge. Like you would see on a, one of those $5 machetes you buy out of the back of a truck. Wow. Nice. You ever bought a machete out of the back of a truck? I've never bought a machete out of the back of a truck. Uh, there used to be, uh, they have stores now. There was a brand of Chinese <laughs> stuff. There was a brand of Chinese imported knockoffy stuff. They used to drive around in an 18 wheeler and stop at maybe your local VFW or your American Legion post and just be like, Hey, we're here. And you would go in and look at stuff. And if you wanted something, another guy would grab you the cardboard box out of another part of the truck. Yeah, that's not sketchy. Not sketchy at all. Uh, so you could get you a good $5 machete. I mean, it was definitely made of metal and had a handle well, and would cut things, but it wasn't sharpened like, you know, like a knife would be sharpened. Right. This feels like a small version of that. Like they ran it down the thing and then it went into the bin for the guy to put the real blade on it and then <laughs> went into the other bin and got installed in the tool. <laughs> Oops. So I don't. You should check out another one, like head over to his store and just be like, hey, can I look at that and see the blade and see if that one's got a decent blade on it? Right. Then it might shed some light. But if they uh, all If the blades have were like blade? this, I don't think they'd still be in business. Something is definitely up with this blade. It is not normal for Gerber tools to look this bad at all. Yeah, I was about Everything to else say. is fine. Everything else is fine. Yeah, I was about to say, Gerber is usually pretty, uh, pretty decent. Mm -hmm. They're on the ball. So, uh, do you carry a bag with you? I have a bag in the car. I think a lot of us do. Uh, I couldn't really tell you the contents of it right now. I've been tweaking my carry, my every, you know, my pocket carry so much, but I have a sling bag in the car, uh, of extra stuff, some other doohickeys and, and things and whatnot, but it is not the, I, you know, I can survive in the woods for three days kind of bag. Gotcha. Right now. I want it to get there. But I'm I'm been obsessed and focused with uh, my four or five pockets right now. <laughs> I was the opposite way around. I was obsessed with like the uh, getting my car ready for everything, and then you know my pockets were slacking. How much would you say all of your uh, pocket carry weighs? I'm using just kind of as a mirror. Both of the interviews I've had so far that were guys who carried guns and ammo are a little bit over six. I'm I'm from the Department of Redundancy Department. I carry <laughs> I carry a thing and then another thing that does the same thing that the first thing does and stuff like that. So I'm sure it's over two and below five. Uh, what was the last thing you used? Uh, was my knife, my Spyderco. Uh, I shamed it by using it to cut open a box. <laughs> uh, it opens really, really well. My particular Spyderco has the uh, it's the em the Endora Four and it's got the Emerson thing on. It looks like a little rhino horn or the wave. Emerson, the knife maker, patented that. So on its way out of my pocket, that thing opened. Nice. Uh, so rather than fishing out my, you know, uh, my other stuff to get the non-bladed box cuttery out, I just whipped that thing out and, and I sliced some tape. Sweet. I like it a lot. It did cut my palm recently. How uh, did it, you manage that? Really, yeah, that thing's drawn my blood three times. Um, I was taking the knife out of pants that I was not wearing. So, like I said, it's got this rhino horn 
the wave on the top of it. So as you pull it out of the pocket, it automatically opens up, which is great when your pocket is up against your ass. <laughs> but I was holding my pants with one hand and pulling at the knife with the other, and it opened directly into my palm. So just the tip of it scored an extra little line for the palm reader, which I can still see. It didn't bleed or anything, but it definitely caught me. When that knife came out of the knife case at the shop that I was looking at it at, it cut me. It cut the tip of my finger. And uh, it was like being bit by a puppy. I had to take it home (laughs) at that point. It, uh, It wanted to go home with me. I mean, it already had my DNA on it, so it's awful big for being lightweight. And uh, it works fantastically. Right on. Uh, Do you cram? Man, see, because I have a show about gear, I'd like to say that I wasn't cramming. But, yeah, I've bought some new stuff recently. It's harder, especially now that I'm producing the show, not to get stuff constantly. Uh, Just today, I got in the mail a new thing, which I added to my kit. So I don't know if that's cramming. Because I am the guy who has the show and I must review and evaluate stuff. But I bought the BMT, the Bros Multi-Tool, at least partly because I thought it would be cool to talk about. Well, it's got better street cred than the other stuff. So, yeah, I'll cop to it. I crammed. <laughs> I think you get a pass on your cramming, though, because you do have a show about it. And if you don't, then you're never going to get anything new to talk about. Let me tell you once again how trusty this thing is. <laughs> That's perfect. And it's important for me, as the host of a show, it's important for me to have uh, that next level of gear. Right. Maybe not better, but it's certainly more unique. Uh, But I'm the guy who creepily can look at, if I see that hook, that clip coming out of your pocket, I can usually peg the manufacturer. And when I can't, I just unashamedly ask, hey, I don't recognize that knife clip. Can I see your knife? Your knife every day is what? Uh, my everyday knife uh, is typically that American, okay. Ala- sorry, Appalachian Trail. Uh, Probably not, by the way. I'm pretty sure if you look closely. The Appalachian Trail knife, not made in the Appalachians. I use the term, I just started using the term, China Palbanian. China Palbanian. Just made somewhere. Just, you know, those, you know, Sri Lanka, Dakota, stuff like that. If you were to restrict yourself to only American-made stuff, Hmm. just in your pockets, there's already, there's tons of stuff because guys are out there trying to make stuff, but your price tag is heavier. Oh yeah, it's way heftier. That could be worth it. It's about failure versus replaceability. It could be, but then you ride that fine line of like, if you're, if you're strictly purchasing American-made, then you're either, you're going to get quality or... You're going to get somebody who's trying to mass produce just because like, hey, I can put out, you know, X amount of units a day of this low grade metal and everything. And they figured out a way to make it at sweatshop price. Mm -hmm. It's still made in America, but it's low quality. And you're right. So American doesn't necessarily mean high quality, but used to it used to. And it still can be an indicator of higher quality. And I like Uh, When something doesn't get here in a timely manner that I can get someone who speaks the English on the phone would be nice. Or the email. (laughs) Yeah. But that's just a matter of like micro manufacturing. Any of these smaller houses making anything are in the business because they know that every piece could destroy their reputation. If you sell a hundred knives a year versus or a thousand knives a year versus a hundred thousand. 
it matters. Every bad review matters. Every guy out there going, yeah, I dealt with this guy and it sucked matters. Yeah, because that's so, hurting your bottom line seriously. Right. And who wants the same stuff everyone else has? Even though I have a Spyderco, which is a brand everyone's heard of, I don't have the one that everybody knows. <laughs> so I kind of dig that. It's cooler. It's different. So maybe the moral of the story for today is replaceability versus, you know, that quality level. So Spider Co. has their little fatted tick looking spider printed on the side of my blade. And even though it's not a U.S. made knife, it is made for Spider Co. If I have a problem with it, it goes to Spider Co. It's not all just like a Spider Co. It's not something else. It is for them, from them, and by them. So it's that name recognition that can cut both ways. Yeah, definitely. You can get a $20-ish Kershaw, overseas-produced Kershaw, 20 bucks, good and sharp, okay blade steel. It'll replace that Appalachian thing in your pocket. Maybe last a lot longer. Maybe you like it a lot better. These are good objects. I have, I think, five or six Kershaws floating around. On the one hand, I know that they're a little more limited. And on the other hand, I don't feel as cool in my circle of friends who are all EDC nerds <laughs> pulling that out of my pocket. But I can't go below that. I can't do anything less than Kershaw. <laughs> you know, there's that level. Everyone ranks every brand in their head, whether it's car brands and it's subjective. Maybe you put Subaru above Toyota. Maybe you put... Toyota above Honda. Maybe you put, uh, you know, Lexus above all. Maybe you like European cars and you're into Volvos and stuff like that. Whatever your order is, there's the ones that hover at the bottom. Yeah. I think of Kershaw as I wouldn't go less than that because at least that's a company with a website and a contact form where I go, I snapped this. It shouldn't have snapped. What are you going to do about it? They want to be in the knife business. They want to be selling me a knife but they use overseas production to keep their costs down. So does Cold Steel. Cold Steel has a great reputation, makes unbelievably sharp stuff, murder weapons in some case. <laughs> One of my favorite knives all time is a Cold Steel, but it was made overseas so that it wasn't $300. And they know that they're doing that. And they have some American produced stuff, some stuff that's handmade and hand ground and hand sharpened here. And those are amazing. But their $45 G10 handled Tie Light 2 4-inch blade stiletto is a Hall of Famer for me. I wish I knew knife brands like I know car brands, man. Sure. I almost well, can't even keep up with you. I'm just trying to picture my like, the coolest knives I can think of. <laughs> right. But this is my show. This is what I talk about here. My biggest failure knife, my junk drawer knife, is also a cold steel, also a Tie Light. Because I bought it on eBay without realizing that it was a six inch blade, 13 inch overall, and illegal to carry everywhere. Nice. It's a stiletto. It looks like a switchblade from the 50s. It doesn't have a switchblade. Wow. 13 inches. They didn't have that in 13 the description? overall. Uh, they did. I just, I wasn't, I didn't realize it. So, as is mostly the case with junk drawer stuff. I find myself apologizing for a lot of the mistakes that I have purchased. I've purchased stuff that was just throw away. This thing, I bought it to put it into my kit and uh, to make it my carry knife. And then when I actually saw it, I was like, oh, no, I, I, I should have taken a tape measure out. This thing is ridiculous. <laughs> 
So I never threw it away. It's sitting there, but it's scary how big that thing is. I tried to give it to a friend of mine who was six foot eight. And he said, no, I can't carry that. That's too big. <laughs> like his hand is that much more massive. And I was like, well, it doesn't look weird when you hold it. So I got the four inch one, the tie light two, the four inch one. I got it with the plastic, the G10 handles. And I carried that thing for years. It looks a lot more poke and stab and less utility because it was designed around poke and stab and less utility. Uh, and that's a design that a lot of those Chinese makers ripped off and made even cheaper. So then it became sort of the $40 version of a $12 knife. Yeah, that's kind of messed up. I want to go back to it and have a good one, but I would never carry it anymore because I like a fatter blade. I like different grinds of, uh, of blade, maybe different metal. And I maybe don't want to scare people that much. Yeah, scary factor is a thing. <laughs> you know, you don't want to be going around to any kind of city and they're sitting there doing see something, say something. Like, this guy's got a huge freaking knife. Uh, well, that's and that goes back to that low profile thing. Yeah. You know, do you carry the hunting knife strapped on your hip while you're getting a slice of pizza on your way back from the woods? No, you leave that in the car every time <laughs> because there's just that level of, well, I'd like to have it with me. But, you know, I would like to every day just be walking around like a samurai hey wouldn't that be cool i would feel better that way but that's not the right choice because that's gonna get the cops called on you that's gonna make people look at you too much you want everyone to scan the room and go eh, no big deal exactly i i, I kind of like to think about you know like a weapon the way you should think about a car if you're about to challenge someone to a street race like, you want your car to be a sleeper. You don't want someone to know mm -hmm. what's under the hood. Same thing, like, you don't want anybody in the room to know what potentially deadly things you have in your pocket. Like, mm -hmm. say uh, say the store you're going in, you're going to get a coffee, and the Wawa gets held up, a robber comes in, everybody face on the floor, blah, blah, blah. Well, you go face on the floor, and you're behind this guy while he's sitting there at the counter. You have this in your pocket. He doesn't know it because you have it concealed. Now you might just be able to do something if you're the step-in kind of guy. I would love that to be the case, but the right answer is let them take the money. Yeah. Because if that ends in an absolute bloodbath, it's your fault. That's true. I was thinking a violent scenario. If they're hurting someone, that's different. But if it's just give them the cash. You know, uh, my best uh, martial arts instructor ever said, someone wants your wallet, give them your wallet. It's not worth it. If you can avoid it, just, just give them the cash. Ask them to leave your license. If you're polite, it should be okay. I mean, last week I was talking to someone who carries a gun. Week two, talking to someone that carries a gun. They have a completely different solution to that problem. Yeah, well, their solution's a lot safer and quicker. <laughs> Is it worth getting in a gun battle over that? Is it worth, you know, my life or my livelihood or my spending time in jail because I wasn't found to be indemnified. You know, that gets real tricky. So I have the knife and I think I can get the drop on this guy. I'm going to flip out the knife. I'm going to pop up. I'm going to zap him in the neck with my knife and I'm going to be the hero. He gets one shot off and kills the 62-year-old lady who just wanted to make a sandwich at the Wawa. Now he's the one guilty in a court of law of any murders during the commission of a felony. That's how the law works. He's the one who came in with the gun. He's the one who pulled the trigger. That doesn't mean I'm not necessarily going to get sued. That doesn't mean I'm not going to necessarily be found in the wrong in some way. True. So it gets really, really tricky. There's a whole laundry list of can I do this? 
And some of that hesitation to act in certain police, you know, and law enforcement roles is, am I doing this according to every possible rule? And bringing a knife to a gunfight, by the way, is how people get shot. Well, it's how you get shot if you're the one with the knife. Right. So if it's a money thing and he's leaving the store, get a really good description, maybe get a camera phone shot at him, make sure everyone else is okay. But interdicting an armed gunman without a gun, you better be damn good. Now, I love watching, you know, the YouTube videos where a guy goes to rob the convenience store, the little bodega, and the man in line behind him is an off-duty cop. Oh, yeah. Like, these are fabulous stories. I love when that happens. And I'm for an armed citizenry, and I wish that I, here where I'm at, could carry a gun. But they won't let me. Yeah, I qualified in the military with a handgun. I qualified as a law enforcement officer with a handgun in the past. Uh, I've taken classes. I'm qualified. I can possess. And they said, well, you can't carry outside your house. State laws. State laws, county laws, district laws, different stuff. Yeah. That's, you know, so that changes the game. If my weapon is as lethal as his weapon. If someone comes to rob me with a knife, do I want to get in a knife fight or do I want to give him my cash? In a knife fight you're going to get stabbed. It's about managing where you get cut. Winning a knife fight is about managing where and how you get cut. Yeah, it's about bleeding less than the other guy. Yeah. Get cut on the outside of your arms, get cut in the non-lethal areas, don't get stabbed in the center line, because he's going to tag you. If you're trying to tag him, you're just as close. Carrying a five-inch versus a three-inch knife isn't the difference maker there. You know, if I can touch him, he can probably touch me. Yeah. I heard a really interesting thing yesterday on NPR because I was driving a Prius and they only get public radio. <laughs> the statistic is in the last 20 years, violent crime in this country as a whole has dropped dramatically. And there's a lot of, you know, police chiefs who will say things like, Oh, it's because of our community policing or it's because of better this and our response times and this and that. The real answer is people don't get mugged anymore because they're not carrying cash. They plan on getting where they're going and paying with plastic. If someone doesn't have $100 on them to go out to dinner, why rob them when you can go home and learn how to steal their identity? Yeah, that's true. Technology has made crime different and thankfully less violent. Less people are getting hurt, and that's great. More people are getting stolen from, and that's terrible. It used to be a thick wallet was a sign of someone with a lot of cash. Now a thick wallet is a sign of someone who doesn't know how to throw away business cards. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Or they have all those little cards from CVS and Pep Boys. And have you seen anybody with a key ring that's just a half moon of those cards? Um, yeah. Just barcodes for days. I have a phone. I scan it into my phone, and I just carry them like that. That's my phone doing an extra thing, and less mass that I have to carry on me. My wallet right now, an Alet front pocket wallet with an ID shield is so slim and light, I often feel like I forgot it. Oh, wow. I recently switched back out of it to a slightly bulkier wallet so that when I drum my thumb against my thigh, I feel my wallet there a little bit better. Because I kept having these little panics. I don't have my wallet. Yeah, you do. It's just, it's that light. But that's because I'm a broke MFer and uh, don't have a lot of cash in it. <laughs> well, there's definitely something we can all agree on there, man. I don't have a lot of cash. I got a lot of those cards. <laughs> right. And I'm not telling you what to carry. I'm not telling you what to dump out of your pockets. But definitely take everything out of there and make sure that it belongs. If you need to carry them all, carry them all. 
you have to make that judgment. You carry a $10 knife, and if it snaps or you drop it, you just get another one out of the bag. That's fine. I carry a knife with an MSRP of over $100 because I've had knives snap and dull and do stuff like that. So I feel that that's worth it for me. But I feel that that's worth it not to carry a lot of stuff in my wallet, and you don't feel the negatives of that. Well, it depends on if you're sitting for a long time. <laughs> oh, never to the back pocket. Never. Always. No. Front pocket, non-dominant side. Why do you say that so specifically? You don't get pocket picked that way. Listen, I... Well, because dominant side is where your where your um uh where your phone probably is, unless you have your phone in a pouch. Mm, that's a good point. See, the, the phone has supplanted the wallet as the number one thing in your pants. Well, phone's still number two. Okay. <laughs> Uh, it, it, I'm, I'm against the back pocket carry. It makes it significant. And I'm not saying that pickpockets are a thing, but it makes it significantly more difficult to get your wallet out of your pants without you noticing. Yeah. Anytime I'm ever going in the city or, mm-hmm. you know, to a show, if I'm going to a concert, I leave the wallet in the car and I just take, you know, any cash I might need in my ID if I feel like getting a beer, you know, but right. if I'm in the city, the wallet gets moved from the back pocket. It either goes mm-hmm. into my front left or if it's winter time inside my jacket pocket on the inside. Mm-hmm. I try to, and I can't always do this. I try to carry the same way all the time. Cause the last thing I want to be doing, especially with my lesser used stuff is having to basically frisk myself looking for my whatever. I know where my stuff is. I know what it's attached to, and it should always be here. So even though I've switched wallets out recently, the new wallet went in the same place the old wallet went from. That's where I carry my wallet. Front, right, pocket. See, I still have my pocket system is like the same pocket system I've had since forever. It's, you know, phone in the front right, wallet in the back right, smokes Mm -hmm. in the front left with the lighter. Uh You know, it's always about like, Phone, wallet, keys, smokes. And my keys are always on my side belt loop on my dominant side. Okay. Now, do they dangle free or do you dip them into a pocket? Uh, They dangle, but they're on a pretty hefty uh, clip. Mm -hmm. So it's not one of the clips you have to worry about it coming off. You have to like, it's a two-part thing. I see a point of failure there that I would hate to have happen. As much stuff should stay in the same relative position on your body as possible. Uh, I use my fifth pocket for my peck, the key tool, my ignition key, the house key, and the doohickey right. for the jeans. So I always know where that is. That index is in mostly the same place. But if I switch to cargo pants, they don't have those kind of pockets. So now it needs to drop into the pocket with my wallet and other stuff kind of gets bumped. So there's different things. Do I wear blue jeans all the time? Or do I wear dickies all the time? Or do I wear cargo pants all the time? You carry your cigarettes in your pants. You've never had a crush problem with that? Um, Have you ever mangled a pack of smokes? Oh, I've mangled several. But (laughs) typically, um, subconsciously know they're there from having crushed a few. You know that feeling. You're like, I just crushed them. I just crushed them. So <laughs> you don't know the feeling of right before you crush them, but you go, well, oh, those are you do. And then you're like, okay, well, I got to consciously, you know, like not use this leg to put force on anything. Right. 
because you carry them in the same place every time, it sort of affects, not physically restricts how you move, but it mentally restricts how you move. Yeah. Like if you're crouching down, that's the knee you keep straight. Not necessarily. No, that act, that knee's actually the one usually bent on the ground. Still, even though you mangle cigarettes. Well, it doesn't ever, I've only mangled them when like something has come into contact with my thigh. Yeah, oh, okay. like typically on the flight line was where I was really mangling cigarettes and then they had to move to the lower left cargo or that spiffy ankle pocket, man. I miss that ankle pocket right, uh, right above where they blouse on the ABUs on the right hand side. Okay. They've got like this small ankle pocket, just big enough to like tuck a pack of cigarettes in and it's got a couple, uh, pen spots. Aha. Uh-huh. So the one that bugs me, a lot of law enforcement shirts have this they have those pen pockets yeah really narrow bastards in the sleeve like i said i'm left-handed they're only in the left sleeve so that right-handed people can get their pens oh they're only in the left sleeve they're only ever in the left sleeve i never noticed that because i only went to put them in the left sleeve because that's where you would put those son of a b yeah mm-hmm. thanks guys good job well <laughs> you're a left-hand girl living in a ready world Wow. All right. And with that terrible, terrible 80s music quote, I'm going to let you go. (laughs) That's what it takes. Um, 80s music references and I get boot. (laughs) Oh, if you had known, if you had known that an hour ago, you would have, you would have just whipped out the Springsteen, right? That's it, man. I would have pulled flock of seagulls on you. (laughs) And right now I can't even actually think of a flock of seagulls song. There's only one. It's Iran. And we're not going to do it here. I'm forget it. We're done. Done. Get out. Uh, thanks so much for doing this, man. It was fun talking to you. Anytime. I had a blast. Yeah, that's all we could fit in today. And now I'll try to fade back a bit and let my guest pockets and carry systems be what this show is about. If you have any questions or want a more complete list or have a question about anything, go to facebook.com slash pocket dump and become a fan of the show there and ask your question. Or you can email Matt at rogueintel.com and I will answer you. So there's this legend that JFK killed the hat. It is said that President Kennedy didn't wear a hat to his inauguration, and that triggered the downfall of haberdashery nationwide. That's not the only thing that happened, but apparently the president was kind of a big deal and people wanted to be like him. Old pictures seem to prove that nobody used to go outside, ever, without a hat. When I was in boot camp, if I forgot my hat... I was forced to march around with my left hand on top of my head to embarrass and shame me into never forgetting my hat again. These days I can go around without a ball cap or a boonie hat and not feel that shame. But if it's a walk or a hike or a trip, I have a hat with me. One reason I have the hat is that it makes a good little bag for my other stuff. I've seen this thing that costs money. And it's a brightly colored nylon sort of a bowl and it's designed to corral all of your stuff while you're in a hotel room so that you don't forget it. Maybe you're somebody's guest and you're dumping everything out of your pants. You want a little container for all that so that you don't just kind of throw it all over the room. I use my hat for this, and that way I have a hat, and I can wear a hat rather than packing it in my bag. In rain and bright sun, in snow, out in the cold, you should cover your head, right? I'm not crazy. I don't do this all the time, but I'm usually ready to do it. 
Now, at least part of it is that, well, you know who always has a hat? Bald people. Are less of us bald now? Is that a thing? Is there less shame around baldness? I'm not really sure. But the real thing, the root of it, is that people switched from working outside and commuting on mass transit to driving to work and working inside all day, where forgetting a hat turned into just leaving it in the car and then leaving it at home and finally just getting out of the habit of having a hat with you. There are people bringing back the hat, but they are often doing it in a way that, well, it isn't a love letter to their grandpa's hat, is it? It's sort of wearing a classy hat and saying, isn't it silly that I wear a classy hat? The 60s also saw a huge counterculture movement. You may have heard of it. And that brought bigger, poofier hair. And hats don't really interact with a big mane of hair. Short hair came back, but the hat didn't come with it. Except for the ball cap, which is informal to the extreme. Men, all of them, used to wear slacks and a hat. But the baby boomer generation brought the jeans and a t-shirt out to dinner. And maybe that's more style than it is EDC, but the hat, even a ball cap, or a flat cap, or a floppy jungle hat like I prefer, is something that makes you more functional, and I think it belongs in our EDC. I'm not saying that you all have to have a hat with you, or that it's missing if you don't have it. Make the decision about it, and maybe go buy a hat. Maybe don't. Shiny this time is the material, and I felt like it had to be a scam. I look all over for cool stuff to bring you, and mostly I'd say I have a pretty good handle on it all. This thing sort of confused me, because if you go to the link I'm going to give you, or search for Metperial, M-E-T-P-E-R-I-A-L, on Kickstarter, you sort of feel like you're being offered magic beans by a Nigerian prince. At the heart of this violin-shaped pocket clip keyring tool is a strap cutter blade that's a quarter inch wide and can be sharpened with the included polishing stone. There's a three-size spoke wrench, and the box wrenches are ratcheting, not by having moving parts, but by being cut perfectly. What that means is that you hold it one way to tighten stuff and another way to loosen stuff, and that it won't strip things. There's a Phillips head, a spike, a wire stripping edge, you kind of expect that from this sort of tool, but you don't expect a chisel, and you don't expect it to scribe metal. This thing really seems ready to help in an emergency. Yes, it opens a beer like everything else, but unlike all the others, it also shatters the bottle when you're done. I'm pretty sure that you could build a house with the material and a hammer. I can't even begin to describe how much want I have for this. And it says something that the project met its goal in six hours. But the reason I'm bringing it into your brains is not because they need the help, like some of the other shiny things that I have covered on this segment, but because, one, it's fantastically efficient, and two, there's a stretch goal, so I am leveraging you guys to make my gear better. The madman from Australia who designed this, and apparently got his English-as-a-second-language friends to help him with the Kickstarter page, is making the material from 440C stainless steel, and there's nothing wrong with that but he wants to make it out of CPMS-35VN, which, according to Wikipedia, is tougher and easier to sharpen than S30V, which my knife nerds have heard of, of course. So let's talk about sharpening for a minute. This is the first strap-slash-rope-cutting keyring tool that I have seen that you can sharpen at home. Now, maybe you don't sharpen at home, and that's fine, 
but someone can sharpen it for you a lot more easily than some of the other designs. But, although it makes quick work of seat belts or rope, as well as stripping wire and cable, the way the pocket clip is attached to the body of this tool protects the cutter from your pocket. That pocket clip is part of the accessory reward, with the two end tools added, and that goes for about 60 US, depending on exchange rate. And they say that we'll all have ours by Christmas. So, if it makes the stretch goal and becomes available in the Super Steel, that option will cost more. But, I know what I'm getting myself as a year-end bonus. And yes, I will upgrade mine. Because, pound for pound, I don't think I've seen anything better. The Medperial claims 29 tools, and it's about 3 inches long. Granted, a few of the tools are BS, like the fingernail file, which is really just jimping for grip, and the 8 ratcheting nut sizes, which are all listed separately. But those aren't lies. And it opens cans. Not neatly, but it does it. To me, this thing looks miraculous. And because it's overseas and it doesn't exist yet, my scam sensor went off. But I feel confident that this thing delivers and will be delivered. If you think it doesn't have this or that thing, tell them through Kickstarter. Because that crazy madman is designing other attachment tools to go on this thing as well. Maybe for later purchase. One last disclaimer. One of the tools is a glass breaker. Don't screw around with that. I don't want to hear about a rash of smashed car windows, then pocket tools will get like banned or can't be of a Rockwell harder than like 40. You can subscribe to the Pocket Dump Podcast on iTunes or on Stitcher Radio or go to pdpc.rogintel.com and get the RSS info for whatever program you use to listen to podcasts. While you're there, you should check out our new shows, Now That I'm Older, The Powerful Nerdcast, and Pure Orgasmic Love. You can also check out the original shows, Candid with Lona Mori and Rogue Intel's Prime, which is now live three times a week. Guys, I don't want to go over an hour, so I'm going to cut it off here, and you will all be hearing from me soon. <laughs>